guys, you're onto a dead donkey. Your, your main business that you've run for decades is actually loss-making and has been loss-making for three years. And the way the market is going, you've got no way of generate, generating margin there. And it sounded obvious to me, but for them, it's like, this is the only donkey we, we have. You are listening to One More Question, a podcast by Nicework, a branding and service design company. One of the things we do best is asking our clients the right questions. This podcast came about because we wanted to share some of the best answers that we've heard over the last 12 years. We talked to significant creators, experts, and communicators who we've encountered. And we share the useful insights, inspirations, and facts that made us stop and take notes as we go about our work. I'm your host, Ross Drakes. Today I'm talking to Loic Potches, the CEO and founder of Disruptive Leap. Disruptive Leap helps organizations 10 times their revenue through a unique disruptive journey. Loic's future focus is super unique and we talk about exciting things like how to create an offer that nobody can refuse, how to move your margin from 5% to 50% and he even challenges you to step out there and have coffee with the entire world. Enjoy. Let's go. Let's go. Welcome. Um, thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Ruff. Pleasure. Um, I think we should start at the beginning. And, and in our early conversation, we were talking around, you know, you were sharing your thoughts on how people need to define their space or define the, the way they, they perceive themselves as the beginning of everything. Um, could you talk a little bit about your, your thoughts on that and how you see it playing out? Yeah, so, so practically in a world of disruption and rapid change, whatever people happen to have been doing over the last few decades may be relevant or may actually not be relevant anymore. So as in defining their space, I think I talk one uh, about core capabilities. And let me take a mining example. So if they say, for example, we, we're great at digging ore of the, of the ground, then that's uh, typical to mining. But if they say we have an engineering capability, that could spread across different industries for various purposes outside of mining. So I would go define core capabilities. What is it you're naturally great at as an organization with an open uh, mind frame to that example? The second thing I would say is define your space as an organization. And two examples to that. If you're saying I'm a mining company, what do you mean? So what a, does that make you an expert at uh, leveraging and engaging local communities, at renewable solar energy, at engineering capabilities? At, uh, so, so is it about impact, impacting lives? Because the way you define your frame means uh, narrow thinking and therefore maybe fairly unproductive anchored in the past, or future thinking and seeing opportunities. Um, one example, if Discovery had mentioned we're here to sell more uh, medical insurances, uh, more volume of the same, then they wouldn't be where they are. And if they say, no, no, it's about uh, healthy living and shared value, and then a number of things start falling within that frame of reference. Or to Amazon saying, uh, are we selling books? digitally or are we actually a digital company that happens to sell books because the latter then begs the question of what else than books uh, should we sell and and do we have as well a, a core supply chain capability and or do we have an extraordinary way in a third step of the business model to go into hyper customization into the home 
into the mobile. Like if you've loved this book, then you must have loved this and that and that and that book. And you'll probably buy these products and yes. you'd love to have these things coming to you. Yeah. And then uh, should you actually be still producing books or, sh- or publishing books or should you be the, the platform in the middle uh, owning the last mile? But the way you define your space at each phase of your growth in business model cycles will define first uh, whether you'll get to another cycle with a certain large enough frame of reference or whether you're stuck in, in more of the same. It's very interesting. I mean, just listening to you talk now, it, it strikes me how what you're talking about, about how organizations should be approaching themselves is very similar to how brand like brand thinking has been so it's always been around what are our core values what is our core differentiator what makes us really special what positioning territory can we put ourselves in that's specific enough that people understand but also wide enough that we can you know we're not kind of like committed 100 percent to that single single track um so it's almost like you've pulled that thinking out and are applying it in a in a business innovation space um so, so you, you, you use that kind of defining your space as the starting moment of, of this, uh, you know, and then you, you build up to the idea that you were sharing with us, the offer that no one can refuse. Can, can you talk a little bit about what that is and how you get there from kind of defining your, your space? Yeah, so let me take another um, analogy. So I, I was the uh, CEO of a, of a corporate company that was in the security space. So then we were providing guarding services, for example. Now, guarding services are absolutely valuable for certain tasks, like checking uh, boots and, and bags at the entrance so to, to ensure everyone is safe inside of the mall or offices. Now, going around a perimeter to patrol, if you're paying as a client for 100% of the services, but the guard, the guard walks five minutes on this side of the wall, five minutes on that side of the wall. At any given point, you're protected 5% of the time with a certain human um, weakness, if, if at all. Like, can't see behind the wall, the guard could be threatened or asleep. Or, so, so, if you're saying, I'm selling guards, then that's all you sell. And I can just sell more of the same. Um, if I'm saying... Are people actually buying guarding service or are they buying peace of mind? And then it begs the question of maybe a guard questioning the status quo isn't that efficient. And where else can a guard be greatly efficient? But in that specific spot, like patrolling, maybe it begs the question of what else could be super efficient? So we were greatly happy to have found the perfect solution for that. We were the early entrance in uh, off-site video monitoring we could prove 99% of efficiency uh, versus 5% efficiency. So it's a huge gain. It was an extraordinary gain. So we managed to get 100% of people absolutely enthused and thrilled at, at the thing, but it was an enormous flop. Nobody would buy it. Why would that be? We were actually pushing a Rolls-Royce product in a Tata market. So uh, that wasn't uh, a great fit. So it's a bunch of guys getting super excited about the new tech uh, getting everyone else excited, but besides the oh wow factor, nobody would buy it. So that's, uh, I think, a big mistake of, of uh, when we talk innovation and disruption, pushing stuff on the market. But the offer no one can refuse is, is the following one. We found that in 17% of the market in South Africa, we could pull on the size of the perimeter 
and on a monthly rental of the tech services at 99% efficiency, we could pull enough guards to say, hey, we're going to give you a Rolls-Royce product and you're going to have a 15% discount on what you're currently paying. So basically, clearly, exponentially more bang for less bucks. And that's the offer no one can refuse. It's like Uber coming into South Africa and saying, hey, you're going to have transparency, uh, uh, neatness, uh, uh, a smiling service, reliability, all of these good things. And you know what? You're going to pay 20% less. Then that thing should take a life of its own. If Uber had come saying it's going to cost the same as a taxi, they would have struggled forever because people hate change. So you need a rapid call to action and therefore an offer no one can refuse. So if you've defined your space, if you've defined the big inefficiencies, as in our case, the guard, I'm not saying guards are not efficient everywhere. They're inefficient in that particular task. Yes. And, um, and therefore, then you're on to something big. I applied the 80-20 ratio, maybe solving 80% of a problem is good enough. So, for example, we saw that 17% of the market, but of a 60 billion rand market, was large enough for us. Yes. So, it wasn't about solving the whole world's problem and at 20% of the cost because we needed to have enough room for a big discount for the customer, as in rapid call to action, and for a large margin for us. Because if it's not about... If it's about innovation and disruption at the same type of margins, you've always very low commoditized-based margin, then what's the point? So hence the 80-20, solve 80% of a problem at 20% of the cost, hit the sweet spot, the offer no one can refuse. And then it begs the question of where do you scale from there and, and so on and so on. So it's almost like you're saying that people need to understand their, like who they truly are or they need to kind of have that, that kind of clarity of, of who they are and what their vision is and then apply this idea of, of where can we leverage that in the most efficient way, you know, offering people this, this great service at a, a ridiculously lower or much lower price. Yeah, it's define your space broad enough, um, define your core capabilities broad enough, so not stuck into what you happen to have been doing. Then step three, find big hairy problems, questioning again the status quo. We've always sold guarding services. Well, hang on, aren't people buying peace of mind and so on? So reframe the questions, therefore look at the current with another set of eyes, thinking what are the big inefficiencies uh, uh, the yeah the, the big frictions in the market because it begs the question of there's got to be a better way and if you solve the biggest problems then that's your opportunity to build a, a case that hopefully should take a life of its own you need to get to the offer no one can refuse hence the 80-20 and then maybe you're on to something which is still an embryo like yes. uh, you still need to make it a business and scale it and so on and so forth so, so do you think that this this process you're talking about, do you think it's best done that kind of internally with, with your kind of the, your team or do you think it's better to get in kind of an outside opinion to, to drive this process? So it's best done with the internal team that know the space, the core capabilities and so on and so forth. You need a minimum uh, level of uh, ability to, to change in terms of the personality. So you can't have the naysayer in the room because it'll get the whole process stuck. But you need absolutely de facto an external organization 
like for example, we facilitate those kind of workshops. Why is that important? We bring zero industry expertise. We go across industries. They bring, their teams bring the industry expertise and the core data. And we bring the critical thinking, questioning. So we bring the, the, the external look, the external blunt look saying, what's this guy doing here? Well, it's called the guard, he's patrolling. Why, why would you want a, a guard uh, patrolling? Well, that's what we've always done. Well, is that efficient? And so you start shaping the thinking in the room around the, and that's extraordinarily difficult for people to sort that themselves uh, from experience. And it it's simply uh, talks to the statistics of uh, why aren't organizations able to change and to change? Why does innovation systematically comes from outside with green, fresh thinking and so on and so forth? So, I mean, what we always say to our clients is we offer, uh, we have none of the emotional baggage of where you've come from. Uh, uh, so we, we really don't care. So we will cut anything and everything that we have to to get there because we weren't there when it was invented. We didn't watch it grow up. We didn't invest 30 years of our lives into making it function. And now we, you know, we're suggesting cutting it, which can be quite a, a painful That's the thing. It's, it's, the, it's the story of the dead donkey, right? So um, it reminds me of a fairly large company in, 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 Afri- in East Africa. And fairly rapidly in the workshop, I'm saying, but guys, you're onto a dead donkey. Your, your main business that you've run for decades is actually loss-making and has been loss-making for three years. And the way the market is going, you've got no way of generate, generating margin there. And it sounded obvious to me, but for them, it's like, this is the only donkey we, we have. So instead of calling it a dead donkey, they say, no, 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 let's flog it a bit more, see what happens. Let's paint it in gold and see if it reacts better. Let's... Uh, let's uh, but they, it's, it's extraordinarily hard for them to call it a dead donkey. But then we said, now what about this side business here? That seems to do well, and let's unpack that. And so then we were on to something else. But unless you can call this a dead donkey and saying there's no bright future there and, and drive that message, which is, to your point, substantially easier from the external with no emotional and uh, a blunt look at, at the reality, uh, it's extraordinarily hard for, for people to see it internally. Right. Um, I, I think this is a great thing to jump onto the reverse thinking of scaling levers. I mean, I know you were talking, you were, you've been to the Singularity University and engaged in that. So will you tell us a little bit about kind of how you reverse think um, from scale uh, to, to sort of achieve great things? Yeah, so, so in our discussion, if we've left it to a cute baby with potential, but still not a scaling business, then, and then it's only a cute baby, right? So... Um, uh, it's only just a, a plan. So the, the, the scaling is now, you've got two, um, two, two, two key um, thinking here. You've got the linear uh, thinking, which is next year, let's do 10% uh, more of the same. And then if we do 15% more of the same, then, then happy days. That's the linear thinking. Now, if you're saying we're onto something and we're into a market of... Uh, 5 million people in, in that market. Now, let's say, let, let's take a market, um, as in South Africa, let's take the upper end of the pyramid, and you're saying there's 2.5 million homes uh, there where we have a, a perfect uh, product for them, like a DIY security tool or safety tool that just happens to make sense, and where you've hit the sweet spots and so on and so forth. Now, you're thinking, okay, I'm onto something, 
Traditional thinking will say, I want to hire 10 or 50 salespeople that are going to go, who are going to go door knocking. And then I'm going to hire 100 and then 500. And uh, in about a century, uh, I'll be onto a million homes. And, and it's going to be 10,000 people. And, and it's going to be happy days. Yeah. And every single year, I'll be able to show 10% or 15 or even 20% more than last year. Or if you're thinking, but you know what? Getting there in a century sounds actually crap. Uh, because we really have a beautiful baby here, then you could reverse things. So if you define what's a completely crazy goal, let's say I want to get to a million homes in 18 months, then you say, okay, is that crazy? Yes, it ticks the box of crazy. Good, good start. Um, next step is how do, you, how do I make that half crazy? Okay, getting to half crazy is now again a little bit of creative thinking. So Basically, I'm looking for a way to get into a million homes. So effectively, in order to sign up a million homes, let's say, let's say I need to go and target five million homes with an offer they can't refuse because then I'm, uh, I have a fair chance of, of signing up a million with an offer they can't refuse. So I'm looking for an immediate entry to five million homes. Okay, so who's got that entry for me? Like as in a scaling lever. Scaling levers, so now let's think a little bit laterally in that upper end of the pyramid, who's got access to that same market? And you think fiber, you think uh, multi-choice DSTV, you think maybe some form of a Woolworths loyalty program, as in a premium supermarket, you're thinking maybe MTN Vodacom, maybe Discovery, maybe, and, and you, you have a list of 10 that all answer to the following criteria. They are on a million plus homes in your target market. So yes. they can give you direct access to that. Now, what's the, so that's half crazy now. So it sounds like there's a way maybe you could get to these homes and uh, within 18 months. How do you then bring half crazy to actually doable provided you do A, B, C, D? Okay, how does that look like? Now unpack that further and you'd say, okay, can I control Vodacom or MTN or Woolies or Discovery? No, you can't. Okay. But you can shape an offer they can't refuse. As in, instead of investing in your overhead, you get them a cut of the upside. A reasonable cut, so that's a business proposal. They can understand the offer. They can, so the, the offer just makes sense to them. And you de-risk each and every one of them by saying, if I'm going for 10 that each have access to 2 million homes, yes. I'm realistically sure to nail one hopefully two, and if it's three, happy days, bang. So now you've gone from completely crazy, in that case, whackhead, to half crazy, to doable, provided we do the following yeah, plan. You need to make that 10 presentations. All of a sudden, yeah. sounds kind of more aha, like you reach your aha moment, you know what to do to have massive impact. And uh, it's like going whale hunting. So what's the best way to catch a whale? So first, you're going to be properly equipped uh, to catch one. Uh, if you don't have a boat and nets and whatever you need, then it's, it's quite uh, difficult. And then you go realistically after 10, and then you have a fair chance of, of having one. So um, I'm not saying anyone should go whale hunting for that, <laughs> which is another topic. But yeah. Um, yeah. Um, it, it's interesting. You know, I think some of the principles in here are quite, quite interesting because you, you're almost saying that you know, in order to hit scale, in order to like kind of make a huge impact, you don't necessarily have to scale your team or scale, you know, so you don't need thousands of feet. You can, if you 
define your space well enough and you define what your core competencies are, you rethink about how you're positioning them, you know, what that offer is that you're making, you know, and then you find the right path to kind of to hit that, you can actually achieve a hell of a lot with a much smaller team. And I think that's where you're talking about kind of margins. So you're not kind of just increasing overhead all the time. You're not increasing complexity or number of people. You can actually achieve a hell of a lot with a much smaller, smaller, tighter team. Yes. So two concepts are now, uh, I think, extraordinarily important. It's the concept of speed. Um, uh, and, and, and speed is why should I wait a century to get to a, a large uh, organization if I can leverage on existing capabilities? So, you, you, so speed is, is extraordinarily important and it talks to becoming more of a puzzle maker or, or the analogy of the ecosystem. So, so Amazon is an ecosystem. So if they need a hundred times more manufacturing capability because they believe they can sell to two, two more billion people in a super individualized way in a couple of new industries. The one question is how many years and how many billions of dollars will uh, we actually build management and, and supply chain to, to get to create, uh, create that ex- extraordinary large manufacturing capability to, oh, because people think of in-house and in-house is, is dead. Or they could just say, let's, harness existing manufacturing capability around the world by bringing them extraordinary uh, uh, certainty on, on demand and, 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 and then you're going to define the margin, you're going to remove bottlenecks, you're going you're to basically commoditize all, all the rest of the value chain, you're going to 10x your margins, you're going to 10x your speed, you're going to go 10 times less on the capital invested. Mm. Why would you have to invest the capital if others first have done it before? Or if you can guarantee a return on capital on predicting the demand for investors that will happily go and do that. So it's about puzzle making and and building ecosystems. Doesn't this fly a little bit in the the general trend of things, which is almost everyone, I'm here for myself, I'm doing my thing on my own. That's in opposition to like everybody else. So here I am, this is my product, this is my team. And, you know, I don't want to talk to everyone else. I don't want to collaborate with other people because now I'm sharing. Absolutely. It's the small pie syndrome. Yeah. So what's the percentage I have of the small pie? And and should I share the 10 or 20 or 50% of the small pie versus, and and they fail to see the, the only question actually is if from that 100 rand pie, I can make fairly fast now a billion rand pie. And if I can leverage these databases, like in the previous example we used about getting into the home fast, then you could keep 100. And it's just a mathematical uh, point. Huh? You, you, so let's say you invest in that 1,000 salespeople and over the next century you get to a million home and you, you've kept 100% of the pie. Or you got there in 18 months and you've commanded 50% of the EBIT in the middle. I mean, you've created from a hundred rand pie, a billion rand pie. Yes. Now that talks to, but, but yeah, mindset is the, is the enemy in the room. It's like having an IT uh, department uh, in-house. Yeah? So you're going to have to spend some of your time managing these guys pulling cable right, left, and center. And then you see the survey in the corner of your office saying, now my data is, is here, it's protected, I can see it. Now, who's best place to 
protect your data. Uh, Google or, or whatever that has probably a million specialists in house that they paid, uh, paying them f fancy salaries, or you with your hundred guys in the in the corner uh, pulling cables all day. I mean, wasn't there also of, that thing of when you've you've bought that server, you're going to try and solve every problem with that particular server because you know how much you spent on it and what the investment was to yes, get. Yes, you it. become constrained. You start building legacy, sunk cost, uh, um, slow stuff. The, the thing is, if you can't build, if you can't beat, uh, you don't have to beat Google at their game. You don't have to build to, to beat Amazon at their game. You don't have to beat Discovery at their game. You don't have to beat anyone else at their game. But if you are the puzzle maker in the center, commanding the access to the offer no one can refuse and getting there, and you use these enabling platforms, they're accelerators. And uh, that's what people need to... So, so by the time you're trying to reinvent the wheel internally, hiring the experts and starting on that slow, cumbersome journey, someone else has just sorted the thing out. And you've been left behind. And you've been left behind. The best protection is people think so corporations are super happy to sign uh, phone books of uh, trademark, IP, patent, restraint of trades and all of these fancy things, having the illusion that it protects them. Okay, so here's the thing now. If you're into a fancy platform, so there's nothing that can't be replicated by throwing 100 developers at the problem or 1,000. So it's all about market share. So, and if you sue me on that, it'll take you three years to win your court case and appeal. And by that stage, in six months, you'll be out of a business. So you'll have won something on, in the meantime, having liquidated your business. But if you're Uber now, which is extraordinarily interesting. So like, we all think of Uber as being more convenient, quicker and cheaper and cleaner than a taxi. No, that's dinosaur thinking. Because that was like five or ten years ago. So now the new thinking is uh, Taxify and some others that are actually cheaper than Uber. And Pro so, so when I ask people, who of you has heard of Taxify? So everyone says, yes, we have. Okay, who has got the app downloaded on their 20% have? Who's using it? Not even 5%. The new norm is now that Taxify offers the same service or, uh, and maybe the, and at 20% uh, cheaper. So it does completely make sense. But because we're stuck in our habits, our paradigm is still that of the old taxi versus the new Uber. But doesn't that now become a, a question of brand? So, so Uber versus old school taxis, it was a much sexier brand. It was that, you know, that kind of offer you can't refuse, which is amazing. Now, Taxify is the same service, just slightly cheaper or a slightly different. It's like a slightly different, but in, in our heads, it's the same kind of service. So now it becomes a question of brand and perception. Totally. And the real true one protection for your new business is speed. Because if you get to be the largest in the market and everyone's downloaded your app or using your services, you've got stickiness. And now you're not catching a taxi anymore, you're Ubering. Yeah. You're part of your in someone's brain, heart, and where you're there. And it'll take Taxify an extraordinary amount of advertising and resource, and they'll have to be 80% uh, cheaper to, to, to just make a dent in that. So therefore, speed to market is extraordinarily important. Not, a, not, not about having an IP, a patent, or, or a clever platform anymore. 
that's your only true protection. And therefore, you can't just reinvent the wheel anymore in your corner. That just doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. Um, can we loop back around? You mentioned the word stickiness and you had some lovely thoughts on, on sort of stickiness and how. So, you know, like just to bring us back, we've defined our space. We've created our offer that no one can refuse. We found a partner that helps us to scale, but now it doesn't help if we scale and then everyone uninstalls our app, you know, three months in or whatever. So I've, I've touched a million people, but I haven't stuck with them. How, how do you approach stickiness? So stickiness is moving, I think, from a first offer no one can refuse to um, uh, what I would call a flowing organization. So what's the, what's the concept here? If we take Apple, Apple would have gone with the first version of the iPhone. Clever new stuff. They would have gone from shooting star to cash call to quick death. Yeah. If after the first iPhone, they had never invented other stuff. So the first offer you can't refuse allows you to start a, a journey and it starts shaping your organization from silo based with lots of generals and, and, and so on and so forth uh, to, to more of a matrix organization. Now, it's like learning to drive. The first new service line or, or product, it's a little bit cumbersome and it's like learning to drive, right? The second time, a bit easier. The tenth time, you're just flowing. So the value is not in the iPhone, the iPod, the, the tablet, and so on, but in created one, understanding your next needs before you know them and being extraordinarily swift and with your eyes closed, getting into pilot projecting, supply chain, flooding the market and getting there first and to number one. It's like now you're in your car for the hundredth time and you just drive. You don't think about it anymore. That's what a, I, I suppose uh, an Amazon, a Facebook or, 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 um, or an Apple are, are doing. And now if you're the guy that just learns to drive and they reach 120 kilometers an hour in five seconds, whilst you're sorting out where shall I put the key to ignite the engine, you're, you're dead in the water. So the flowing organization is important to achieve customer stickiness. And that's how an Apple can outrageously sell us a, a cord, a, a charger for, for $40 and maybe it costs one uh, to have it produced in China and, and no one complains because they've now, the second thing to flowing is building the ecosystem. Mm. If you now have your you've rendered yourself if uber starts to do uber eats plus a number of collateral things and so on and so forth and start dropping your parcels at home and so on and so forth and it's all one click away to get an array of services sorted then it becomes extraordinarily difficult for let's say uh, a taxify to say i'll do your rides but yeah but hang on a minute uber does for us a number of things like in in the security space we ended up doing remote off-site video monitoring. But then we said, what else could be efficient? Remote gate monitoring. Then we thought, okay, let's protect high-value goods area with a set of tech. And then let's... So we had a puzzle for which people were paying a monthly fee. Now, the next guarding company knocking at the door to say, how much for your guards? I'll do them cheaper. The, the, the client didn't have a clue how much for the guards, how much for the guards. just knew it was efficient. They had compounded savings yes. over, over time and it just was working. So there was convenience, there was peace of mind, there was uh, a bit of an app they could use to have full transparency on the, on the security setup. There was a, now, now if you have the cheap 
and next guy selling cameras by the kilo. It becomes extraordinarily, and, and the more pieces of puzzle you add in the ecosystem, the more you increase stickiness. It's like FMCG business directly to the home. But if you start with cooking oil, then you say we'll do as well uh, hygiene uh, products and soaps and one. Then you say we'll do veggies. Then we'll do, yes. and now you control 80% of that household's uh, weekly and daily uh, supplies. And you've hyper-individualized that like my weekly pack does look different than yours and so on and so forth. And it just works for me. It's convenient. It's at a reasonable rate. And, and here comes a cheaper cooking oil provider to try to get its, its stickiness comes by the flowing of getting into the next and the next and the next thing and, and through the ecosystem. So it's almost like you have to keep keep redefining your space. So you've, you've done your one product, you've got your baby, you've now scaled it now. What are the other things we can do to kind of stick onto that product now that we're there to make it live longer in the consumer's life, to make it, it kind of more valuable to them? Because I think it is that thing of when you look at each part individually, they can be measured. But when you stick them all together, the the price is a very hard, like it's very hard to kind of append a price to the interaction of all of those items kind of functioning together. Yes, because convenience becomes exponential. Each time you add a piece of puzzle, you're not adding 10% more convenient, but substantially more. So you yes. get to uh, exponential convenience and you get to exponential, like almost price hiding or, or you've got a just a, a flat fee for a set of things that just work so uh, that, that simplify someone's life and uh, and I think that's how you reach uh, customer stickiness. I think it's also I mean I think in there's the concept of relieving people's mental load so if you if if your product has been designed in such a way that they are comfortable that that whole portion like that whole portion of my life, I can just almost forget about like all my business. Like I know that my data, everything to do with my data is fine. Like it's with those guys, they give great service. Uh, it becomes much harder to, for somebody else to be like, we want to unpack that box. And you're like, no, but I'm very happy because that box is fully sorted for me and all of my needs are done. So I don't want to like start unpacking a single piece from it. Um, it's too big. That's the thing. It's like the guy selling flowers, roses, and is he actually competing against other flower sellers or rose sellers? Or is he, if he in the meantime has put a bit of data on it and says, hey, sends you reminders just before Valentine's Day uh, to say, hey, did you forget a uh, swipe left and we'll have your favorite. Uh, we know that your uh, wife uh, loves uh, red roses or whatever and we'll have it delivered or at your door or even swipe right. We've taken the liberty to order that on your behalf and a swap right to cancel the order or it's going to be delivered. And, and then it's also about chocolates. And then on top of that, they iron your shirts from the office. They call you, consume, they book your favorite restaurant. They go then you start layering exponentially convenience. Now comes the next guy saying, hey, I can also sell roses and my roses are cheaper. It's totally relevant now. Yes. I think it's also, I mean, you, uh, the word you're using convenience, but I think it is also coming back right to that defining your space is that idea of like what is the potential of what we're offering here what is the yes right now we're using it to solve problem a but is problem a part of an ecosystem of problems you know can we solve that entire thing because then it's not just about one oh yeah they, they, they're solving one thing for me there are 
they've applied their thinking in so many different ways around a, a core concept that it's it becomes worth much better. You know, like flowers is one thing, controlling your entire dating life is a completely different thing. Because now you're saying that I can take your significant other and I can make her, I'll control all of the the things in that world and make that whole that whole process much better for you. And that's the data play, right? Because if someone can tell me your next date, uh, tell us who you're meeting, and because of AI, for example, to say something silly will tell you what her and will go um, uh, a screen on the available uh, a data pool out there. Uh, what are their likes and dislikes and whatever. And we have a guaranteed 80, 80, 88% uh, success rate in, in date one by, no, by doing these five things right. Um, um, now, it's not just about... Uh, paying a hundred dollar to take that analogy of a date uh, per date, but it's about the end result of finding your 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 your, your best matched loving partner, whatever, whatever, and you having an impact on them and getting on that journey. And, and we can so add in genetic testing, so we can pair you up with a partner who's going to give you the most attractive child, who's the most brilliant, because we've analyzed your two day your DNA streams together. But so that's that's, the, uh, that's phase three of this. That's this whole that's thing. yet another level. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, we we basically out of time. Um, thank you very much for this. I just I'd like to close out. You you mentioned something in passing earlier, which I, I really enjoyed, and I'd love you to share it with people. Is this idea of having coffee with the the whole world? Um, could you could you just close us out by letting us into to how what that means to you and how you've used it in your life? So, so I think uh, there's something extraordinary in people and is a general goodwill and willingness to share a little bit of their heart, their, their minds, their experience, their expertise. And people, when asked to do so, generally do that freely with pleasure and call you back. And uh, I've been the, the recipient of, of, uh, of some of that. And it was an extraordinary uh, experience to do. So to set the context... I realized as a corporate CEO, I needed, so I felt like a little bit of a hamster on the, on the, on the guinea pig wheel and, and just I didn't have the clear headspace to go. I had a few ideas, but ideas aren't businesses. But I knew I needed a clear head. So I, I knew I had to, to, to resign, which I did. And then to just take some time to go and test and um, those ideas, those thoughts, around the, against the whole world. Uh, would there be appetite for that in the market? How should it look like to be palatable? So ideas into a plan and then into a, a product or service range to say what shape, uh, how long does it last? How, what does it cost? What, what, what are you actually selling? And I've literally gone and had coffees and reached out to people in my direct network. And then I also said uh, something like I copy-pasted kind of the same message a hundred or a thousand times on, on LinkedIn on LinkedIn, saying what would be curious enough to attract uh, people's attention, like, hey, I'm an ex-corporate CEO turned uh, uh, disruption consultant, uh, uh, like, 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 whoa, that sounds like crazy. People want to know, they, they, it triggers a little bit of curiosity. Yes. And the second thing was... that no one can refuse. Yeah, and, and the next thing was, and I see you're in that space or you are in that way or whatever, I'd love to, would you mind having a few minutes of, uh, uh, of your time to, uh, I'd love to have your guidance. So saying, I need your help. And it's extraordinary that the number of people out of the blue 
that just said, of course, let's meet, let's do that. And what's your story? What's your story? How can I help? And that, that's fascinating, basically. So that's, uh, that's, I mean, it's a lovely thought to end on. And, uh, and I like that you were willing to give up an hour of your, it's probably an hour and a half now of your life to come here and contribute to this. So thank you very much for joining us. No oh, pleasure. Thank you for, for reaching out. Awesome. Cheers. One more question is brought to you by the people at NiceWork, a branding and service design company in Johannesburg, South Africa. If you would like to chat about the challenges you're facing, reach out to us at www.nicework.co.za. This will be released every week, so please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're one of those really old school people, send us an email or potentially a fax and we'll make you a mixtape.